the story you just told about your daughter in love, I mean, that, I guess it's an unusual story. It, it doesn't happen as often as it should. And I wonder if it doesn't happen because we're sort of pre-programmed to despise our ex-spouse. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. everybody welcome to this episode breakups and divorce endings are as important as beginnings and i have a conversation with jim siemens jim is a divorce lawyer and life coach in Asheville, north carolina he has extensive experience as a trial lawyer a mediator and negotiator in family law cases and jim accepts family law cases throughout western north carolina and he accepts coaching clients throughout the U.S. and Canada. And in this conversation that Jim and I have, because of his experience of being a family law and divorce attorney, I thought it would be great to talk to him about what does he see as the important elements of doing a good divorce? What are some of the pitfalls where people go awry and create a lot of havoc in their lives? And what can they do to actually make it a positive legacy in their family? And I titled this, you know, endings are as important as beginnings. And I truly believe that. I don't think we learn how to do endings well. And we need to do that when it comes to breakups and divorces. And yes, it is a high calling to do that. But instead of seeing the process as a failure or the relationship as a failure, in ending it, we can really bring some healing or really create a foundation for two people to be able to communicate well, to be able to have understanding and insights, and especially get along if there's kids in the family. So I hope you get something out of the conversation. And before we start it, I want to give a little teaser. If you hang on to the end of the podcast, I'm going to talk about a workshop that I'm doing live on Zoom. It's for couples. It's the power of appreciation, the key to a deeper connection. And that is going to be happening in two times, in October and November. So you'll get the the details at the end of the podcast. Okay, everybody, here we go. Breakups and divorce. Endings are as important as beginnings. Yes, sir. Let's talk about it. All right. Here we go, Jim. Thanks for coming and wanting to do this. Thank you, Prepo. I'm excited to be here to talk with you. Yeah. What was the inclination? I love that you contacted me and said, hey, you know, I Listen to your podcast. I got some things that I'd love to talk about. What, what spurred it? Well, yeah, I became familiar with your podcast. I listened to a couple of episodes and I became curious. 
Mm. And I thought, well, you know, divorce is part of relationship, and I know a little bit of that, and uh, it'd be fun to talk to Prepo. So I, I put it out there to you. Mm. I've got some particular thoughts about relationships and divorce and some career aspirations. And uh, yeah, I was just curious about what a conversation with you would be like. Mm. Cool. And how long have you been a family law practitioner? I've been in Asheville practicing law since 1994. Mm. And divorce has always been a, a part of my practice. Now, in the last 15 years, an exclusive practice in divorce. Mm. When I say divorce, um, separation, child custody, child support, spousal support, alimony, equitable distribution, mediation, uh, some collaborative law. Yeah. All of that stuff around it, man. Like we were just talking about earlier how that has, divorce has such a connotation of negativity. You know, we see it all over in movies or we hear all the horror stories. But one venture that we want to take a little bit is, as the title says of this is, you know, endings are as important as beginnings. And there are ways to, I would imagine, to sidestep some of the the pitfalls that people fall into oh for sure yeah yeah and <laughs> divorce does have sort of a, a negative cultural baggage right um but it, it doesn't have to and i don't see it that way hmm. I, I probably couldn't do what I'm doing if I if I did think it was a, a negative thing. Yeah, I, I'd imagine waking up every day and going, shit, you know, I got to go into this battlefield every day. Uh, that would be hard if, it, if, if you knew that it could be done a different way. Yeah, there are parts of it that are hard, but the part that's really energizing is the relationship with the client. From, you know, the first day that you sit down and meet them and work through the consultation... It's sort of an active listening process. And if you show up, if I show up curious and open and focused, I learn things. Mm -hmm. um, and I learn how to help somebody that's in a difficult spot. You know, I've thought a lot recently about life purpose and what does sort of feed me um, and what resonates with who I believe myself to be. And I've just arrived at being the guy who helps people in hard places find some ease in their life. So I imagine people are really coming for you to you with the desire for direction, like help me. Yeah. You know, sure, I'm sure there's some people that say, you know, I want to stick it to my partner. You know, let's get the guns out. But I'm imagining that most people are saying, this is this is the worst part of my life. I, I need some help. I need a good direction. I need some good guidance. People come to me and it's obvious. Many times it's obvious that they're really suffering mm. with depression, anxiety. And when I say those things, I think about depression as sort of thinking about the past and all the bad things that have happened in the past yeah. and anxiety as being, oh my gosh, what happens now that my paradigm has shifted so radically? 
So that's totally normal. And, mm. and I see it a lot. And in the course of a first conversation, you can usually bring somebody to the present. You know, mm. we're here now at the conference table and you've told me your story and it sounds like it's been really tough and I can see that you're suffering. And I think we can help. Just that acknowledgement when you tell somebody, I see that you're suffering, gives them permission that it's okay to feel that feeling. Right. You know, for me, the feelings need to be felt in order for them to move, right? To be purged. When we don't feel our feelings, we cap them, suppress them, and they sure want to come out and they come out sideways, usually in a way that sabotages our life. So if we're given permission to like, hey, I see that you're suffering. I see that it's hard for you. Let's just be with that and work from there. Then people are not coming in an inauthentic way. Yeah. So what you're talking about, I think, is empathy, right? Yeah. And that's a, a fun, what I would characterize as a positive emotion to, to play with and, and bring to your work life. At least I do as a divorce lawyer. I try to empathize with my clients. Um, How do you, do you ever help them to empathize with their divorced part, the divorce to be partner? Like that's the hard part is, you know, people, they don't come in that, they come, they're hurt. Right. And it takes a while for them to feel the empathy to like say, hey, this other person is suffering also. Do you want to go after the jugular or do you want to be the inspiration? If you want empathy from your partner, one way to do that is to give it to your ex, we're saying all these terms, ex-partner, partner to be ex, all of that. But the the person that you're now untangling with that you wanted to share a life with and you're disappointed that the realization of the expectations didn't meet it, can you have empathy just for that situation? That's a tall order. That's a big <laughs> ask. But, yeah, is that, is but that, I think it's a, I think it's a great ask. You know, can you can you have empathy with yourself? You know, can you yeah. stop beating yourself there up you for for being in the position that you're in? And if you can, you know, what does that feel like? And then maybe go a step further. What would it be like to empathize with your former partner and and the struggles that he or she is also dealing with? And what do people have a most difficulties with the empathizing with themselves? Is it the decisions that they made, whether they had an affair or things like that they feel really shameful about? What, what do they have a hard time empathizing for themselves? Well, I, I think that we all struggle with forming judgments about ourselves, our circumstances, and other people. And I, I think my mind is engaged in that almost constantly during my waking hours. Mm -hmm. uh, it just happens. And ask me the question again. It was a good one and I drifted. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, what, what is your experience of seeing people needing to have empathy for themselves? Their yeah. own, is, everybody, like you said, has that inner critic going on. Yeah. But is it usually like, hey, I messed up. I'm the cause of the, uh, of the divorce or I didn't realize how uh, I didn't show up and now it's too late and I have a lot of regret. Uh, had this affair, really hurt them, feel really guilty about it. I'm wondering like, what, what people are, are needing to empathize with themselves about in the divorce process. Well, I think our culture 
again, has sort of thrown a, a negative sobriquet on divorce. You know, it's viewed commonly as a failure. And, and I see my clients bringing that. They're, there's a little bit of shame associated with, with being where they are. Yeah. Um, again, empathy and, and active listening can really help folks. And, you know, there's a certain client that I see that is so clearly damaged by a negative relationship. You know, domestic violence, Mm. Um, and then the, the subtler stuff like attacks on self-esteem that sometimes people put up with for decades. Right. Yeah. So a lot of times they're struggling with how could they stay this long and not take care of themselves or treat themselves in that relationship. Yeah. That that's very true. Yeah. You know, I'd like to talk about that part with failure. I think like, um, many people I know when I am working with a couple that they decide not to be there, we have to work with the aspect of failing. Mm-hmm. They think of it as a failure. And at that point, I say, you have a real opportunity to not have that as your legacy of, of a failure. You can now transform that and see what, what do you want to come out of it? What do you want to learn? The biggest thing, like we've talked about before, is around the legacy. What do people now want to leave for their family and their friends? Like if they do it, I don't want to say do it right, but we talked earlier about, is there a way to do this gracefully? Is there a way to move through the pain and the suffering in a graceful way and not just go down the aspect that that this is a, a failed marriage as opposed to many things out of it was probably very positive. And can we now transform and go on with our lives, including if we have kids or other aspects of it, and transform it? So I know that that's, that's a real challenge for people to see in the mix of their pain. Sure, yeah. I mean, you're never gonna go wrong with treating somebody with respect, <laughs> even someone you don't like, right? Yeah. Um, it's like throwing a stone in a pond. That stone can be contempt. That stone could be respect. There's a ripple effect to both. Yeah. And the contempt one, you know, that's, I did a podcast on it. That's like the number one uh, relationship buster, man. Like the contempt and more contempt. That's the horseman of the apocalypse. There you go. Exactly. Isn't it? Right. Because contempt and, and, and the definition of contempt, I mean, it's used in, I watch it on TV all the time. You're in contempt, of course, <laughs> right? And, and yeah. what is that basically, is the aspect of contempt is um, not treating with respect? What, what is it? I think that's right. It's, mm-hmm. it's disrespecting, devaluing, rejecting, uh, treating with disdain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a negative spiral. Right. And, you know, folks get wedded to these negative narratives and they just cannot hear each other. Mm -hmm. And I see that most plainly as a mediator. You know, there's this concept of reactive devaluation. I'm not sure where it came from, but I learned it in a mediation training. And, And basically, couples that have slipped into that place of contempt 
devalue any message that's exchanged, right? This it it could be raining outside, but then they won't agree. But if the mediator says, you know, I just had a look out the window and it looks like rain, the message is received in a different way. I think that's the number one reason mediation works. The messenger is not the devalued person. Mm. And that automatic dismissal is is not present in mm. conversation. So in North Carolina, we have a, a, a mandated uh, mediation. Right? Yeah. One session is mandated. Mm-hmm. Right. And many other states don't have that. Is that correct? I think that's true. I think North Carolina is pretty progressive in that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I think North Carolina is also pretty progressive in terms of um, parenting and respecting fathers and mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a, a primary public policy of wanting both parents to be equally involved in their children's lives. If you were like the the arbitrator and the kingdom of the way divorce could be. Yeah. I'm I'm curious, Jim, like how would you say like if we did it this way, you know, that the outcome or the process could be healthier? What elements would you like to see in the in the in the divorce process that maybe is there that you want to see more of? Or it doesn't matter, pie in the sky. What what would that what would that look like to you? Well, a couple of thoughts. One is you know, this concept of zealous advocacy. We're ethically bound to advocate for our clients in a zealous way. And we don't get, we as lawyers, I don't think get adequate uh, instruction on what exactly that means. Um, What does it mean? (laughs) Yeah, I, I think for some people... Some lawyers, it means you're a gladiator. For some, it means you're a mercenary and you need to follow your client's directions. Um, For some, it means showing up, knowing the law, uh, being respectful and efficient and transparent. And when, when I work with lawyers that have that mindset, then things work the way they should. Mm. Yeah. The mediation process, would you want to see more of that? I think mediation is great. Um, and we should do it early and often. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, more good news the state of North Carolina mandates mediation both for child custody and for property settlement. And right here in Asheville, we have a family court system in Buncombe County, and there are two mediators that are assigned to work at no charge with folks dealing with custody issues. And you know, it's a pretty good success rate. Mm. And And kids, I think, benefit from tamping the litigation down. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing. Like, you know, endings are as important as beginnings. If people don't have that in mind, if they have kids, like what is the best for our family? And I know people say that and they think that, but it's hard to follow through with that because the emotions get involved and they feel like a victim. They want redemption in some way. And they think 
they're doing it for the benefit of all. But boy, you know, what I see doesn't really go to that effect. Yeah, I get really uncomfortable when I see a client that's pretty wedded to a false narrative, you know, that negativity, um, that rejection of their former partner and the recruiting of their children in that emotional negativity. I'm bothered by that. Yeah. Like I was telling you earlier, I grew up, I was 12 years old when my parents got divorced. And um, that was a transformational process for me that stayed with me very much in my adult life. In a positive way, it helped me to create the the relationship and the marriage that I wanted. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the statistics show that divorced children also have really challenging times in, in relationships. Um, but I was fortunate enough. I don't know if I had enough time in between. I got married at like 33, but my parents didn't talk to each other for over 12, close to 15 years. They finally transformed that right before my father died. But I remember one process when I decided in, in the state of Michigan where I lived, I was 14 and I wanted to live with my father. Mm-hmm. And I had to go in front of the judge. You did. I was going to ask you if you testified. Okay. Yeah. I Tell testified. me about that experience. Yeah. You know, I just, it, it's a vague experience because I think I blocked some of it out. But I remember, I remember that, you know, I wanted to tell the truth that yeah. I wanted to live with my dad. That yeah. It's plain and simple. One reason why I wanted to live with my dad was because my mom got me remarried and I didn't really like the new step family situation. Gotcha. Yeah. It was kind of just a lot of chaos. Yeah. So I wanted to go to the lesser of the evil. Yeah. But I remember the feeling that I was I was going against my mom, you know, that I was I was choosing. Right. It's and a loyalty bond, right? It's a, it is. Yeah. And I as an adult, I can I can now think of holy shit what my mom must have been feeling. Mm-hmm you know, to have her child in some way advocate against her. And- um, So were you in a witness stand with your mom at council table? Yeah. 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 And it was was short and sweet, but it had a lot of ramifications. I don't think my my dad didn't didn't go about it at all. Um, uh, But it it was this needed process that I felt at 14, I didn't want to be put in that position. You know, can't my just wishes, can't can't my wishes just be met? Right. Yeah. 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 And and maybe if your parents had been able to communicate, that yeah. could have been avoided. But exactly, did it turn out to be the right thing for you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it was absolutely the right thing. When I moved in with my father, it it was a, a a wonderful. That was one of the best years of my life. Just living with him, it was just him and I. Um, he was uh, a caring, wonderful man. And we had our uh, focused communication with each other that he really advocated um, good responsibility for a young young person to do their own laundry, do kind of things like that, cook for themselves. But there was a lot of love and care in, mm-hmm. in that. So for me, it was a, it was a really good experience. I know it, it alienated my sister a little bit because she stayed with my mom. Yeah. So there was kind of like things like, "Hey, I got I got away scot free. Like I'm a happy dude, and you gotta you know stay." She stayed with the loyalty. So that that has a little bit of that. Is that there still a brooding resentment? I, I think there's 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 like a little desire. I think for her. We haven't said this, but I'm imagining she wished that I came and rescued her in some way, um, come come along with me. Yeah, I don't think she would have gone. 
Yeah. She, but uh, she was older. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, that just, that kind of stays with me that I have a hard time staying with, again, the empathy with what my mom felt because I was like, hey, I, I needed to, to get my freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, I needed to, uh, to do what was right for me. And, but like you're saying, if they had a better communication and relationship, things could have been very, very different. And that's, that's the thought that I had of like even doing this, this segment of, man, like people have an opportunity, you know, at this point to really transform where they are in this, you know, even, I don't know if you know in personal experience uh, in your work or in your own life, even rituals that people can do. I help couples work with divorce rituals, you know, like a ceremony where they can focus and express what they learned from each other, what they appreciated, what they gave. They can burn what no longer serves them in between. They can let that go in some ritualistic way. Yeah. We call it um, also doing what's called cutting cords. You know, Mm -hmm. if we can envision that we have these cords that tie us, can I take the cords and cut them myself and empower myself to cut away from the ties energetically from this person, but leave positive energy in between. Yeah. That takes grace. Yeah, for sure. A graceful disengagement. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just as important as the engagement, mm-hmm. the disengagement. Yeah. And some people are capable of doing that. Um, and I'd love to be able to encourage more Yeah, to disengage in constructive ways. And I think I also want to state that that can take a while. Like, you know, um, we spoke a little bit. You're welcome to to talk about this if you like or not. But you just said that um, you recently have started to transform your relationship with your ex. Yeah. And, yeah. and whatever process that was, that's just, that leaves hope that it's not about, it doesn't happen to happen right at the divorce table, but the possibility of what can happen as the hurt dissipates as realizations come up as we develop our own self-identity that that transformation can happen later Mm -hmm. yeah it can and that's been my experience and i've also been the angry guy wedded to false narratives you know and that served no one Mm -hmm. particularly didn't serve me yeah yeah and um yeah, I, I've <laughs> I've learned a lot through that personal experience of of separation and divorce, and uh, and now I can see sort of the the gift and opportunity and all that hardship. Mm. Um, but it's taken time to see that. It's taken a decade. Mm. Um, the turning point, in terms of the way my ex wife and I communicate now. The turning point came with learning to suspend my judgment about her, about circumstances, about decisions, and about myself, really. I just let all that go. Mm. Um, How'd you feel when you did that? There's a sense of integrity, right? You're coming back to yourself. Did it feel empowering? Yeah, I would say empowering, maybe lighter. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
there are great gifts to to being honest and surrendering the need to be right. Yeah. <laughs> and when we take our own responsibility, to me, it's like nobody's got anything on me. I'm taking responsibility. So it's empowering in yeah. that way. You know, the things that I look at, I call it my bookends when I work with couples, the, the bookends and relationships that if you do appreciations really deeply and well, and you do apologies really deeply and well, how that serves in the relationship. And my experience that couples that do apologies pretty well in their marriage and relationship, that if they do split and break up, that they're more apt to do that in that process. And an apology process and forgiveness process is a one way to really get people to move through it in a graceful way. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'll tell you a story about the turning of my relationship with my ex-wife, we both liked to race bikes. And uh, we were at a bike race at the beginning of this year. I flatted. I had a good start, but I flatted. And she came up behind me, walked with me. Wow. I had to walk several miles to get uh, flat fixed. And she walked with me. I said to her, you, you really ought to go on. I'm not worthy of you walking with me. And then I gave her permission to walk with me. You know, in, internally, I thought, well, this is okay. And it's kind of nice that she's willing to do that. Uh, and we've built on that from there. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So I commend you for the work that you're doing with couples uh, disengaging every bit as important as engaging. Yeah. Yeah. It really is, you know, because it, it's not this, you know, even though I'm, I'm labeling it an ending, we know that nothing, it's not an ending. It doesn't end. It doesn't end, right? You said John Lennon saying, John Lennon says, uh, if it's, uh, it will be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, then it's not the end, you know? So it, we're human beings. We don't get done, you know? So yeah. we're, always evolving and if we just really look at this aspect as probably one of the most transformational aspects of people's lives but it's it's not an end it's actually the transformation of a new beginning of how we want to be because now we're walking in the world no longer partnering mm -hmm. we may join another partnership but we're no longer partnering now who who are we and right. i think that's the big thing that people have anxiety about yeah what do i who am i now yeah yeah yeah. And that's also a huge opportunity when you're at that crisis point, when you're in the disengagement point, the relationship is over, the partnership is over and you're alone, autonomous. Wow. You know, it's, uh, it's a big responsibility, but a great opportunity to take radical responsibility for yourself and your self care. Right. Mm-hmm. We talked about the metaphor of the, the oxygen mask on the airplane. You got to put it on yourself first before you can help anybody else. Yeah. 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 And, and through the process of divorce, that's so important. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I watch people go through it and they're losing sleep. They're not taking care of themselves. And, and when we're in that state of stress, we're not going to make good, uh, rational 
of nurturing positive decisions for ourselves. Yeah, I see it sometimes in the conference room. You meet people and their eyes are red and they tell you they haven't been sleeping and they didn't have to tell you that. It's mm. obvious, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, they are so hijacked by um, anxiety yeah. at that point. And there's something about that when human beings are, uh, like you're saying, hijacked from anxiety. We don't think that we deserve to actually take care of ourselves. You know, in that way, like that we deserve the hijack. We deserve more of the stress and the anxiety. Yeah, we just got to work harder, Prepo. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> do it harder, do it longer, do it better. Instead yeah. of like, wait a second, like if I just like take it easy a little bit and take care of myself, maybe things will 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 turn along. I had a good friend that that said that for a year, his focus work was giving him permission to just fuck off, like to opportunities to do that because he was a grind type of guy. Yeah. And that was one of the hardest things that he could do was to take those opportunities to just take off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that makes me think about the difference between doing and being, mm. right? We do a lot of stuff, we do, mm. do, do. Um, there's not much enjoyment in that. No. There's no grace in that. Um, and I'm not sure we're present when we're doing that. No, no, we're not. Yeah, because I don't think we get a taste of ourselves when we're in that mode. Where I know for me, when I'm in that doing mode, I'm always in the focus aspect of task orientation and not sinking into like, where am I now? How do I feel about this situation? Because a lot of people don't go to that place. Mm-hmm. You don't go to, does this feel right to me? Mm-hmm. Instead of like, I have to do this. I have to go through this. And I've learned to really be able to take those moments. My wife is a great teacher in that. You know, she always tells me, you know, when you're grinding, that that's the time to go for a walk. That's the time to go ahead and immerse yourself into something that's more relaxing, creative. And I'm like, are you kidding me? No, I, I, I got to get that checklist going. I got to just knock it off. <laughs> But then I realize when I do that, I come back with such different perspective. You know, I look at it as like pinching that hose off. It's always flowing. Yeah. And I just got to lift off. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I know when I'm grinding about remembering somebody's name, I'm like, shit, oh, what was his name? Yeah. And then I go, oh, forget it. Oh, Joe. There it you comes go. just like that, right? Yeah. 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 That's cool. Hmm. So when, when, how do you catch yourself in those periods where you're grinding, as you say, and maybe not as productive as you'd like to be, not as present as you'd like to be? How do you shift? How do you catch yourself and shift? Yeah, one of the things I'm learning is about first having compassion for myself. Yeah. You know, like not letting that judger come in and go, man, you know, you're just grinding and you're you're not living your life the way that you want, is like have compassion for myself. It's like I have every intent to try to live my life the best that I can. I'm doing all of these grinding things for what I think is best. So one is start giving myself some compassion. Mm-hmm. And when I can give myself compassion, then I can like creep in of like asking, what do I really need, right? What do I really want? And if I can start trusting that I know, I call it trusting my life's path, if I can just trust that I'm going to be responding from that place, it it always kind of the pathway shows itself. That's really a beautiful pathway that's more into my 
authentic self. So I start with compassion, move to the aspect of just like trusting. I might not know what it looks like. Because another thing about grinding is I can grind about being nurturing. Like, yeah. all right, so what are the things I got to do to <laughs> nurture myself? You know, instead of like right now, I, I don't know. And that's okay. Can I just be in that space of not knowing? That's really hard for me. Yeah. What about you? Is it, is it? it you know, it, it, it is a hard place to be, but it's also a beautiful place to be. If, if you recognize that, look, life is just continuing to unfold and it unfolds in mysterious ways. And if you pause for a minute, it's going to look different than it just did. You know, right. it just continues and it continues with us. It continues without us. When we try and control, uh, we miss the mark. Yeah. Yeah. Are you able to, are people open to hear some of what you're just saying when they're going through this process? Like, yeah, sometimes you can slip things in mm -hmm. and you can encourage people to take care of themselves, you know, to get rest, to take a pause, don't send that email. Right. Yeah, that's the best to be all right. Don't send that email. Yeah. Don't send that text. Yeah. 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 People don't get the cascading effect of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Even a a lawyer client of mine I spoke with earlier today and he thought, well, you know, what if what if we just file this claim against his former spouse? What couldn't we do that? And I said, you know, there's a cascading effect to that. Once you start that. You know, the courthouse doors swing wide open and all kinds of stuff is going to get filed. Yeah. Why do it if you don't have to? Yeah. Yeah. We talked earlier about collaborative law. Mm -hmm. And um, is that something, collaborative law, as I know it, and I'd rather you explain it because you're, you're, you're more the expert on that. Yeah, so collaborative lawyers... Um, take a vow not to litigate and they partner with their clients and their opposing counsel in a series of settlement conferences sometimes mediated sometimes attended by neutral experts but everything happens around a table and typically at the start of a collaborative case you, you circulate a collaborative agreement and that agreement says, you know, we agree to operate in good faith. We agree to a voluntary disclosure of all the information we need to make good decisions. And we agree that if this process doesn't work, our collaborative lawyers are to be discharged and we got to start all over. Um, so that's, that's the way it typically starts. And, I've seen it work pretty well. And some people that have that vision or desire, sometimes it just doesn't happen in that way, that they want it to, they have that vision that it can be that way, but then yeah. they get just stuck yeah. on something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are lots of cases that I don't think much about because they're, they're sort of transactional. People are pragmatic. They know what they want. And I put the agreement together, and then I see him a year later to file a divorce, and and they're out. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's really a minority of cases, like everything, right? It's a minority of cases that stick with you, um, and 
and end up being litigated over years and sometimes decades. Mm. That's a, it's a small group of cases, but they're painful mm. for everyone, yeah. for the judges, for the litigants, for the lawyers. I'm just wondering when you said that, you know, I'm just thinking, boy, if there could be a transformational process of divorce, because right now, what, what's the number? Between 50 and 60% mm-hmm. of first marriages, yeah. 67% I heard second marriages, 73% third marriages. That's, that's a lot of people in the world. And I'm just thinking if this process could be different, the pain and the suffering that is put out in the universe, in this world about that. And you were just saying that, that in this last year and a half with uh, COVID that you're seeing people almost take a little, a little easier on each other in some way because they know that they just don't want to add a lot of that stress. Mm-hmm. And how, if we could do this differently, the healing of the world in some way, because yeah. there's so much suffering at times and pain from this process. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, I think you mentioned the pandemic just now. I've, I've seen a, a change in the tone of some of my colleagues and a willingness to to be more collaborative um, and to avoid the courthouse because gosh, with the pandemic, it has just become exponentially difficult to get anything done over there. Mm. There's a huge backlog and uh, not necessarily a healthy place to be hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, just not a great way to spend your, <laughs> your time and money if you can avoid it. So the other thing I wanted to say about the pandemic is I mean, it's a negative thing, right? But we have innovated, you, Prepo, have innovated as a result of the pandemic. I'm not Mm. sure you'd be pursuing the podcast to the degree that you are Mm. if if it hadn't happened, right? Mm. Yeah. So you found a new way to connect with a larger audience, and that's sort of born out of a crisis, right? Yeah. I mean, that's true for divorce, too. you know, it's not something people want, but when it presents itself, how can you innovate? Right. Where are the gifts and opportunities now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I know when I've been working with people over this last year, some of the aspect had been people saying, we really can't get a divorce because where are we going to go? Mm-hmm. It's like, even in the pandemic, like, w- w- I, I don't want to live somewhere else. Where am I going to live right now? financially with some of the aspects of the lockdown and people losing their income and so forth, it's expensive for people to separate. Yeah, it's So some of them have even worked harder in some way to, to put the work in to try to reconcile mm-hmm. as a couple because just the circumstance is not as easy to go ahead and separate. Yeah, I, I think frequently about the pragmatics of divorce. It really doesn't work well for a lot of folks. And and a lot of folks come into my office thinking life is going to be great when. Mm. And I'm not sure it is. Yeah. You know, especially people with careers and children that need intensive parenting. I mean, that becomes a, a really challenging life to live. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if people, when they start off their their relationship and their, their marriage, if they can play it forward and say, okay, if we were together 15 years, 10 years, 20 years, and mm-hmm. we were ending, how do we want to be with each other? 
you know, and then and, and a little bit play it backwards in, yeah. in some way. Because if if I know the intention is, hey, I care about you and love you now, I want to still be able to have that in this ending. Can we make some type of commitment to each other that if that occurs in our decisions to do that, that this is where we're going to start off? And I know a lot of people don't want to do that because it's even like, prenups people it's an ah, awkward hey, conversation it's an awful conversation yeah. Yeah. but in some way i think it's really positive because the way that i live my life a little bit is around the legacy part is like when i'm on my deathbed what am i going to be thinking about what's going to be most important to me that's really good right? yeah i was going to suggest inviting those couples to to consult their wiser elder self oh. you know what would your wiser elder self say to you now in in this position of contemplating separation and divorce yeah. you know what will your wiser elder self commend you for doing mm. what will your wiser elder self say hey, i wish you'd done a little bit less of that you know mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that would be an interesting process to have in uh in premarital counseling sure to actually do that let's fast forward yeah you guys are on your deathbeds what what did you wish that you did with each other in this process of separating, how yeah. would you want to be? Because I think when we put it in our consciousness in that way, mm -hmm. we're gonna be more apt to be authentic or strive towards that integrity. Because you used that word several times earlier in our conversation around integrity. And I think people don't understand what integrity really is. Usually it's when we're out of integrity that we get to know what integrity is. Yes, We need to be out of it and go, wait, wait, I'm, I'm veering. And unfortunately, when people veer in divorce, they're so caught up in the emotion aspect that they don't realize, wait a second, I, I have an, I'm an integral being. How do I want to be in this process, irregardless of what this other person is doing? Can I go ahead and be on my deathbed and, and close my eyes and go, hmm, I did that well? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that exercise of you know, consulting the wiser elder self or the, the sage in you uh, the authentic self, you know, and it helps people to sort of pause and question their assumptions and their thoughts. Mm -hmm. At least I hope it does. Yeah. And I hope I can offer some of that. Yeah. I think it's also a good process that people have kids or they can imagine they have kids. What would they want to tell their, their child of how they handled it? Yeah. Or, even a conversation that, they, that that their child, you know, it would be a nice one to say, let me let me envision how my child is going to come to me as an adult. And That's say, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for how you did this, this, this. It was loving. It was caring. I'm the person I am. My my son is uh, uh, with a, a beautiful, wonderful person, a, a Belgian woman. He lives in the Netherlands. Okay. And um, she's 20, 23. Her parents, I think, were divorced when they were when she was about two. Mm-hmm. They get together very often. Um, her mom and her new partner, her husband, um, the three of them helped my son and daughter-in-love, as I call her, move to another apartment. The whole day they spent together moving and helping out. And what I see in her energy, knowing that this is what she's had in her teenage and adult life, that her parents actually work together in her best interest and they actually also somewhat like each other in that way yeah what that's done to her as an adult is such a positive influence 
And I would really wish that parents really understand the impact that they can have on their child in their venture to have their own relationships as an adult of if they do this legacy right. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Growing up is a stressful process, right? You were probably plenty stressed as a 14-year-old. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the added stress of parental dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. I should have been only worried about my pimples instead of <laughs> instead of what was if I if I should talk to mom on the first baseline or dad on the third baseline. Yeah. I'd much rather have focused on that. Yeah. 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 But I wonder how much culture influences that first baseline, third baseline division, you know? Mm-hmm. The story you just told about your daughter in love. I mean that I guess it's an unusual story. It it doesn't happen as often as it should. And I wonder if it doesn't happen because we're sort of pre-programmed to despise our ex-spouse. Yeah. <laughs> I, <mean, laughs> I think that's true. I think there yeah. is some pre-programmed because like we said, it's an inundated in our society yeah. that it's a negative and that when you hear X, it's all, and when I hear that, automatically it's like a negative connotation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it doesn't have to be that way. No, it would be really nice if we have a different word than that, than yeah. just X. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, I know I know several people, professional people, people I admire and respect that still socialize with their former partners. Mm-hmm. Some go to the beach together to spend time with the grandkids, some celebrate holidays, yeah. share meals. Yeah, there's no reason. Yeah. And no reason not to stop loving people for who they are and love ourselves by taking ourselves off the hook of holding on to a revenge or resentment i mean forgiveness is for us it's not i don't absolve you when i forgive you i let myself off the hook of holding the shit that i got with you yeah so i think people got to realize like that's 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 the that's the adulting and the wise higher self that we try to achieve too Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm Cool. Hey Jim, this I'm you know I've done 145 podcasts and I've never done one on really the aspect of of the divorce and the yeah. breakup and so I'm so glad that that you wanted to do this and and I know that you've got some uh, interesting and ideas of how you want to transform even the way that you have a relationship with work. What 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 does that kind of look like if you could tell our listeners? Well, yeah, I've sort of landed on the concept of divorce coaching. You know. And in the school of of life coaching, and I've done some life coach training, and I've been coached and had my own experiences as a divorce lawyer, but also as, you know, a human being that's curious about bettering myself and being in the driver's seat as opposed to being driven, Mm. more being and less doing. And I'm interested in talking with clients that are open to those concepts. Uh, and those clients would probably be folks that are contemplating separation, divorce, and so on. Uh, working with them to, to identify those priorities we've talked about, you know, consulting the sage or the elder self or the adult child. You know, what are our goals now? What's our purpose now? How can we move toward that? I'd, I'd like to be able to empower people 
to make uh, good things happen from difficult situations. Oh. I'm curious about that. Nice. Yeah. And how can people get a hold of you? They want to know more about uh, Jim at WNCLaw.com. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. It's it, we've known about each other for years, yeah. And so this is wonderful to be able to to know each other more in depth and real to real, face to face. So I'm really glad that you're out there doing what you're doing because that gives me more faith that people are in good hands when they're going through some of this challenging process. So thanks. Absolutely. Thank you, Prepo. Yeah, really man. appreciate it. Cool. All right. everybody thank you so much for listening to this episode i hope it spurred something in you about being able to do endings well and how important they are and i told you that i would give you more details about the power of appreciation workshop for couples that i'm giving live on zoom on sunday october 24th from 1 to 5 p.m eastern standard time and also another separate workshop for you to choose Saturday, November 6th, 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So there's two choices, two dates to choose from. The power of appreciation, the key to a deeper relationship. This is a rare opportunity to transform your relationship. You know, genuine appreciation, no matter how profound or how simple, it brings about an immediate shift in the quality of a relationship. And there is a new degree of closeness that emerges. And as you may have heard before, especially on my podcast, I talk about that relationships that are successful, they maintain at least a five to one ratio of positive to negative interactions. And few of us have had any training and appreciations. Most of us did not grow up around it or were so grossly out of practice that we often fear taking the initial steps or there is just too much resentment in our relationships that are blocking our desires for these attempts. So in this workshop, you're gonna work one-on-one with your partner. There will also be group exercises and you will learn how to appreciate not only effectively, but I think it's gonna be a divorce buster. You know, This is one way to really maintain your relationship in a very connecting way that you can really communicate in a deeper, deeper level. And that connection is going to sustain your relationship. It has for me, for my 26-year relationship. So if you're interested in finding out more information and register, you can go to my website, prepo.com. Under Relationships, let's learn about it. There's also a pop-up that's showing the couple's workshop. And I'm keeping each separate workshop to about 15 couples because I want a good, intimate focus for all of us. So I would love to see you there. And thank you so much for keep spreading the podcast out and sharing it widely to your friends and family. If you have found a benefit from the podcast and you are inclined to support the podcast financially, you can go to prepo.com, support the podcast page, and you can give a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. It is so appreciated. 
If you're interested in checking out some guided audio practices and some meditations, I have that also on my website. Okay, everybody. I'm sending you lots of love, lots of extra energy. I know that we need this so much now. Everybody's walking around with some struggles and some challenges and and my compassion and my sincere desire for you all to have moments of peace and contentment and connection with people that you love and care about and especially tolerance. We sure need that. <laughs> all right, everybody. Sending lots of love. Make yourselves a beautiful day. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prebo Teplitsky, visit prebo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice.